Welcome to The Spawn Chunks, episode number 135 for Monday, April 5th, 2021. My name is Johnny, but the internet knows me as Pixorifs, and joining me, as always, is the goat, Joel Duggan. Hi, Joel. <laughs> I will take that compliment. Thank you very much. Uh, and if you are interested in hearing more about things like superhero costumes, uh, anime for grown-ups, and maybe a little bit of Easter talk, you should check out the Render Distance, which is the extended version of the podcast. Uh, Johnny and I have a conversation before every podcast, and we we share that extra audio with our supporters over at patreon.com slash the spawn chunks. And another thing that you can get access to as a patron is the quarterly hangouts that we do once a quarter to talk about how the podcast is doing. And the next one is coming up on Saturday, April 10th, 5 p.m. UK time, 12 p.m. Eastern or UTC minus four for the Americas. And that'll be live in the Discord. The channels are all pretty self-explanatory. And if you're in the Discord, you'll get a heads up before it happens. But again, Saturday, April 10th is the next quarterly hangout for Q1 in 2021. Looking forward to it. Looking forward to sharing some more uh, behind the scenes stuff. And uh, <laughs> just, to, just to quickly tread over something that you said earlier, I'm pretty sure a lot of people would argue that all anime is anime for adults. Uh, shout out also to um, Bijan Steven, who uh, was on a podcast that I was listening to and described Valheim as Minecraft for adults. <laughs> and, then, and then I think he had to, he had to backpedal back over that. And he, he popped into my stream this week and I was like, look at me playing. Uh, I'm playing Valheim for children right now. And he was like, it's for teens. Minecraft is for teens. So um, yes, bo both of us quite beyond our, our teenage years. I think it's fair to say at this point, but still having spent a week or so playing Minecraft, what, what were you up to this week? What did you get done in Minecraft? Uh, I once again completed a build in a weekend, and I'm pretty happy with it because it was not just one building, it was actually three. Uh, I uh, spent the weekend working on the bakery that I wanted to add to the market square. So uh, we've been talking about a lot about the stone church in the medieval area, and next to the stone church, which faces this market square, I added a bakery. And it has like a front entrance, a back entrance, a serving slash cooling window where you can put pies or whatever to cool. Uh, it has a decorated interior. It also has um, a bunch of, I tried to do some armor stand stuff just for fun because we have that data pack on, on the server. Uh, and I wanted to try and just use it to the best of my advantage. And I don't know, it just really didn't, I need to update the data pack. I think there's, I think I'm behind. I had the wrong controlling book or something. Mm -hmm. So it was not really working the best. So it ended up being a little bit frustrating, but it led me to using the vanilla feature of an item flat in an item frame on a top surface of a block, you really got to use your imagination for that to work. Like it, mm -hmm. it really is not the best solution uh, when you're used to something as cute and fun as armor stands. Now, granted, they are hard to move around. It's not the best UI in the world. They can still write data packs around me in circles. I'm not complaining. I'm just saying that it, it does take a lot of time. I do find that I don't do very much on stream because it tends to be a, it just takes the stream to a grinding halt mm -hmm. <laughs> when you're noodling around with these packs. However, um, I felt everything really came together nicely. We've got uh, an adjoining building and because this thing was so close to the, to the curtain wall, I thought a neat idea rather than building yet another staircase to get up to have access to the curtain wall, I put the staircase inside the next building. So the next building doesn't have a function other than it's just an inside staircase, mm -hmm. uh, which is 
cool because it gives you an opportunity to put some height, to put some variation in, in the roofs and textures and shapes of things, but not have to worry about like, what is this building for? Like, what am I going to put inside of it? Is it a butcher? Is it a cobbler? Like, what am I going to do? You can just make it a staircase and it's fine. Uh, and then the next little part uh, next to that is is like a, a, a small lodging, which is could, could be for like a guard or maybe even the baker lives down around the corner from the shop, like that kind of a thing. And the whole thing came together because... I laid out my roads first. And so this ended up being a really odd shape where I kind of had to figure out what house shapes would fit where. And it slowly gets narrower and narrower as the road curves towards the wall. And it also goes, the road goes downhill, leaving all of these things elevated. So what I ended up doing was building like a little bit of a railing. I'm not the, I'm not the happiest with the railing. It could be a little bit better, but I'm stuck with like walls and fences not connecting and and having some odd angles there yeah not being um, able to do anything diagonal is always like yeah, the, the bane of your life yeah. but then you realize oh, i'm playing this game for a reason so you kind yeah. of have to make do with what you've got yeah exactly and the only thing i actually realized i didn't take a screenshot of is like underneath them all uh is a tunnel and i i added it for fun it was kind of like a quippy thing that came up in chat and i thought you know what because these things are so elevated and we go down like a good five blocks down to the exit from the curtain wall, I could just make a left and dig a tunnel straight underneath them and then connect them via staircases. So the bakery has a staircase that goes down into an access tunnel and so does the staircase building. And it's, I mean, it's no faster than just walking down the road, but for whatever reason, I just thought it would be kind of cool. It just adds something else to look at when you, when you come in that gate. So uh, I was pretty happy with it. I'm, I'm getting better at the interior stuff. It takes me longer um, than the exteriors, but uh, I think it's it, problem is twofold. I'm not as familiar with like the sub block decoration stuff. Uh, but also I find that the variety of things that you have to have in your inventory when you're in, decorating inside builds is just immense. And I'm just spending so much time constantly running back and forth to the Shulker Island to just get carpets and blocks that I don't normally carry and hay bales and like just all this stuff that you don't normally use, but you just need one because it's just the right texture to look like wheat in a barrel, you know? Yeah. 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 I, I was wondering, you mentioned using item frames flat on the table. Have you experimented with turning them invisible at all? Because that's something the armor stand book can do in its more recent iterations with a single click or you can run the the commands to do it so that might be a good solution if you haven't tried some of that yet and you're 100 right and i have the wrong book in yeah. my inventory uh -huh. and the the command block that we have on the server to give you the player the book to control it is the wrong it must have the wrong command in it now to like the data pack i think has been updated but the command block has not right so yeah. i couldn't get i the book the armor stand took the book for me because they do that and i couldn't get it back and i yeah. couldn't make the armor stand <laughs> visible to break it and you can hear yourself hitting the armor stand but it won't break unless it's visible yeah. and so then i had to um i had to go and try to get the book again which I couldn't do. Luckily, I had a spare one in a chest way back in my original log cabin from like three years ago. And so I was able to get it and get the book back, but then I still couldn't do the things that I wanted to. And again, I confirmed with another member on the server, I think it was Cosmic actually, who said that they had the up-to-date book and there was a certain, I was missing a page or two in my, in my book. So I obviously had outdated information. So I was quick to point out that I wasn't blaming the data pack for the frustration. It was like, I'm obviously ill-prepared to do this particular part of the, the thing. Because um, mm -hmm. I had, before they updated it, I did something very similar 
in the cafe that I did, I'm not sure if you remember, in the modern city, where I had like loaves of bread and pieces of like what looked like lettuce yeah, in the sandwich yeah. counter. I, I remember and, it. You had like a glass front to it, like a deli yeah. counter. Yeah. Yeah, and it was very effective. And I wanted to do something similar like this and have like a row of bread like lined up on the on the drying or on the, not the drying, but the cooling window, you know, in, in the bakery. And uh, I just I just didn't didn't get to that. But it's on my list. I need to update a couple of other data packs on the server. So I'll, I'll do that. But uh, but yes, I'd like to do the, the hidden item frame thing. Uh, they work OK for signs. Uh, I'd like to maybe do a custom texture pack just for the medieval area, just to kind of like maybe dull down the brightness of the uh, the frames, maybe give them like a spruce frame instead of the oak. Um, just to kind of help them blend in a little bit more with more wood types and stuff. But uh, other than that, like I'm, I'm really happy with the build. I, I like, I keep on doing this thing where I put multiple paths through the builds that I'm doing. Like there's a back door, there's a front door, there's a staircase, there's a tunnel, there's all these different ways that you can go through it. And I just, I find that I start using the building as I'm building it rather than always walking around or using the scaffolding. I was like, well, wait a minute, I have a staircase. I'll just use it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It, it, it makes sense too, because there are so many, even in sort of medieval times, you've got to have multiple ways out of a house in case like a fire starts in there or something. And like, right. you know, it's, it's, it's maybe a more modern thought in terms of safety when you're building something larger, like where is the fire path? But of course, you know, it's a practical thing to have multiple entrances and exits to a house. If even if that just leads out to like a a back garden, you know, you have somewhere you can hop the fence and you're okay. So mm -hmm. yeah, it, it does it does make a lot of sense. And if you're using those as infrastructural things, there's that middle ground between this is an aesthetic build, but it's also disguising something practical about the way you navigate the world as a player. So yeah, I think it's it's good to have that kind of stuff in mind when you're building stuff like this. And I think that it it helps when you're um like when you're stuck for like how do i do this roof or how do i like how am i going to carry this complicated overlapping roof over to the next build and you're like oh wait a minute i was going to build a staircase here but it no longer fits what if i build a back door here and then there's a back door and you're like oh the back door needs a canopy otherwise these people are going to get wet and then you build the canopy and you're like oh i could extend this and switch the gable on the other roof and bring this right up to the point. And it just, it ends up just being kismet, you know? Yeah. Mm -hmm. And it, you wouldn't have figured that out had you not just made the back door as just kind of like a, a spitfire. One of my, my favorite exercise in this particular uh, build with the medieval town is a lot of yes and. And like, huh, I could really use an extra block space here. But I really like this bakery that I built last stream. I'm not moving it. Yeah, <laughs> like uh -huh. I'm, I'm going to deal with this problem in a creative way. I don't know what that is yet. Stay tuned, you know. Yeah. Uh, and so that it's been fun though. It's like doing a crossword puzzle in a lot of ways, you know. Yeah, exactly. Like that's that's always the way I describe building to people. It's kind of like doing a puzzle, and you don't necessarily have definite answers to everything, but. A lot of the time when you find two pieces that just fit together in a way and as somebody who's doing a, a jigsaw puzzle right now because there's nothing else to do while we're still kind of self-isolating and whatnot it's yeah it's kind of nice to uh, to see that come together in minecraft as well um speaking of data packs by the way uh i did a full survival guide episode this week in half-hearted hardcore and sliced lime actually got in touch to bring it to my attention that i wasn't doing it like the most modern way um i was using a command to set up my health and then quitting the world so that i could disable cheats again and so that my health would rebalance it turns out he's actually now made a data pack for it that you can preload in 116 you can actually load data packs and set game rules for a world before you actually 
load the world for the first time before it even generates the terrain and randomizes it and so forth. So there is a data pack which we'll we'll have linked in the in the show notes um, that allows you to set up the health limitation of Half-Hearted Hardcore before you load up the world. And this uh, notably makes it valid for speedruns. If you want to do something like this with a, uh, a speedrun context, it avoids you having to enable cheats, which is typically frowned upon in speedruns because then, I don't know, you could maybe edit out something that you'd done behind the scenes that made it easier for you, you, you know, makes you invincible or whatever, I don't know. Um, but yeah, that that's uh, something that Slice Line pointed out that I hadn't seen because of just like looking around for a couple of explanations on how it worked i found the command first i didn't go into you know researching is there anything newer than this and youtube just didn't surface the video he had made explaining that there was a data pack version of it now so yeah i had a lot of fun with it though i actually got really far in the half-hearted hardcore challenge i ended up getting to a nether fortress without having taken damage the entire time and i was still playing in 1.16 so I didn't have the extra limitations of, well, if I want to go find iron, I have to find it lower in the world in the 117 snapshots or anything like that. But I, I had a blast. It was it was a lot of fun doing that. And that's your second experience with Half a Heart, I think? I guess, yeah. I mean, I did a stream trying it out and because I, I kind of figured I would try it and then maybe make an episode out of it if I could get particularly far. And before that, I'd done you know, a brief test just to make sure I knew how it worked. So I guess two and a half <laughs> experiences later. Um, yeah, and and I think a lot of it comes down to just being very present in the Minecraft world and, and, and realizing, like, you have to be careful about every step. You can't kind of idly drop mm. yourself off of a, a block and not know where you're landing, that kind of thing. The stuff that we take for granted. And it, it's nice to experience it that way, which is why I felt like I should do an episode about it in survival guide to begin with is that it really feels like it's teaching you something about the experience that you can't get any other way and really making you kind of develop this encyclopedic knowledge of okay well if i do this then that's going to damage me you know if i walk into a spruce tiger i better be aware of berry bushes if i you know walk into if if i decide to go swimming i better make sure i'm not around any puffer fish because they can do melee damage to you as well as poison you and there's so many little things that you need to be aware of. Eventually, I was only I only ended up dying because in the Nether Fortress I was exploring, both times I found a blaze, they also had a skeleton right next to them. <laughs> and one of them was around a corner and I just turned the wrong way as I exited the the corridor and I turned right and then turned left, immediately found a blaze and a skeleton facing me down, hit the blaze and was shot by the skeleton from the side. So uh. some people pointed out that like the way people typically get around that, if there's a blind corner like that, is they'll take advantage of third person view and they'll actually just pop out to third person and use uh. that to look around the corner so you have a wider field of view. And sometimes right. people will play on a wider FOV setting than I normally do anyway, but I find that really uncomfortable to play on, like, Quake Pro uh, oh, yeah, FOV. No, I can't do it. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah it's, it's kind of fun to, um, to mess around with that stuff, and I'm sure some people have had much more successful runs than I did. But, hey, it was a fun time, and I'm, I'm glad that I did it. That's, yeah, that's a really c cool way with the third-person 
view to get it to get around things i've actually i should do that more often when i'm like inside of a build and i'm trying to like look at something or i can't quite see is that a stair what do i need to replace that with like because sometimes when you're doing the interiors of builds you have to get your head up into like these little spaces you're just like i just finished the roof i don't want to chop a giant hole through it yeah. so i can put blocks on the top of my hearth because i can't reach it or see it and uh yeah, doing that, like, I never, I, I have a hotkey, like, I have a macro in my mouse, like, one of my thumb buttons just snaps me to third-person view, I should really do that more often, to see yeah. around corners. Um, I had some mob issues, I don't know if the third person was going to help me, but, like, my stream, I think twice this week, started with a creeper blowing up, myself <laughs> and my Shulker Island, like, it was just like, oh, wow, okay, welcome to 20 minutes of me sorting things out, mm -hmm. hi folks, you know, um, I don't know if that would necessarily help, but... Yeah, I, I, I even had, I, I had to double check that the mob sounds were on. Because you know how you turn them down? Sometimes you go to like a, a, a zombie pigman farm. Uh-huh, um, yeah. And I you know turn that down your mob. Well. So, yeah, and you forget. And you're like, how did I not hear that creeper? Oh, because the mob sounds are at zero. It really was silent but deadly, you know? Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, but I had them on my typical, like, because I remember hearing, you know, zombies before. It's like, it wasn't a problem. But just for whatever reason, you know, like my own, my own intro, probably I was probably talking and just not paying attention to what I was hearing. And, and the creeper came right up behind me. But um, sorry, you were going to say about, um, about the, the, the POV or the yeah um the, I I I long ago rebound the uh, perspective shift to R on the keyboard because it's right next to the inventory button. It's something you can reach while not taking your hands off of the mouse and WASD. So oh, yeah. I find that really useful as a as a rebind. And R isn't used for anything else right now. Um, you got F that you know moves stuff to your offhand, but I I find mm. that a quite a quite a reachable key. So it's uh worth it if you. If you play stuff like that a little bit more, if you're in like a, a tournament situation, you want to check behind you while you're running away, but you don't want to take your hands off the mouse for maneuverability, I recommend rebinding that F5 key to something a little bit more accessible. Yeah, mine's a double tap. So like it's a macro that hits it twice. So instead of going to the back and to the front, it goes directly to the front. Right, yeah. But, but then if I press it again, it goes twice and then it goes back to the back again so like it's still not the best solution you'd almost have to have two buttons like a, a double and a single which i could do but the other button on my mouse i have for um the f3 key because i find the f3 for me is just a bit of a reach and i often miss and press the wrong one um and so um having the f3 information on a, on a thumb button on my mouse is really quite useful a lot of times because i was during this build i was also trying to like spawn proof it but also not have it look like it was you know lit like a like a neon sign like i kind of wanted it to still look like a medieval build but mm -hmm. and not have it be giant you know and uh and lit up everywhere so uh but it worked out it did it, it just it was it, a little little tedious thankfully it's a small interior so it wasn't wasn't so bad um, i wanted to ask you with the survival guide and you're currently working on the big museum project uh and then you've kind of inserted this video about half a heart hardcore um out of curiosity, and I apologize if this puts you on the spot, are you finding that you're at the end of like the tutorial part of the 116 content? Like, do you are you at a stretch? Are you waiting for more stuff, or is is the the survival guide um, snapshot stuff kind of satiating that that content? Yeah, I've I found that for a while actually, the survival guide is is no longer really a series about like what you need to know about Minecraft to survive. It's much more about hey, here's stuff you can do in Minecraft while you're uh, waiting for right. new stuff, and that's kind of the way I've been taking it. So a lot of people have noted in my comments section that it's become more of a let's play than it has a guide. But 
I think a lot of it is now just compiling a lot of information about Minecraft and going into like trivia and stuff that you might not know, especially mm. with like you know exploring all of these different biomes and rebuilding a nether fortress like you're looking at the very fine detail of some of these features that typically you don't really need to know but it's just looking for stuff that still feels pertinent to the project while incorporating it into i have this big thing i want to build and i don't want to make 50 episodes that are just well i'm building something today and come along for the ride while i do it i still want to have information there that feels like you're learning something new about Minecraft, but it's much less a block-by-block -block tutorial of here's how to build a, you know, renewable sugarcane farm or something like that. Mm -hmm. It becomes a lot more about here are ideas for projects to try at this stage. Nice. I would imagine there'll be a, another shift back to a slightly more tutorial vibe when one seventeen comes out because of how much is changing. Oh yeah, I mean, I'm I'm starting a season two of Survival Guide in 117, and it's gonna start oh, from scratch right. basically. Nice. So yeah. I'm gonna treat it as though people are new to Minecraft again, which is potentially gonna be a, a little bit of a weird shift for people who've been following me for the last you know couple of years. But I think it's the right thing to do, and we'll get up to speed pretty quickly with 117. But a new world just means a chance to retread some of the stuff that we did in the early stages of the game, but with much more you know, terrain generation taken into account, new villages taken into account, and all of the stuff that people who restart their worlds with every update would have experienced every time. Uh, speaking of which, we should absolutely get into the news, because the other thing I've been doing this week is exploring the snapshot. We got a snapshot this week, 21W13A was released for Java Edition. There was also a Bedrock Edition beta, I believe, uh, but we'll cover the Java Edition snapshot primarily here. New features in 21w13a include the goat and an alternate monochrome logo splash screen uh, the goats now spawn in existing minecraft 116.5 mountain biomes goats can be tempted to breed with wheat and can also be you know carried around uh, they, they will follow you around if you're holding wheat uh, goats are another source of milk with a bucket same as cows and goats are also incredible jumpers uh, as I'm sure people will be aware if they've seen a goat <laughs> gleefully jump over them at about a four block height. Uh, other changes in 21W13A include tweaks to caves, ore distribution, and powdered snow. Dripstone clusters can now be found rarely in normal caves. Axolotls and glow squid now spawn naturally in underground water sources. There's been a bit of a change to Axolotl AI. They will chase after and attack squid, glow squid, tropical fish, cod, salmon, pufferfish, drowned guardians, and elder guardians. But there is a two-minute cooldown after an axolotl hunts any passive targets before they will hunt again. And axolotls will now prioritize hostile mobs over passive mobs and attack them every time. Bees also have a bit of a, an AI change. They now see flowering azalea and flowering azalea leaves as flowers. Uh, there have been additions to the Wandering Trader and the Stonemason trades, as well as additions to chest loot tables. Uh, we'll cover those in a second, but first of all, to cover some of the cave tweaks we mentioned, uh, they've increased the max length of pillars and chains supporting abandoned mine shafts. Cave carvers are less likely to be too flat to walk through, so a bit more headroom in some of those spaghetti caves. It also increased the likelihood of mega caves, which they refer to as large cheese caves. There have been a few other tweaks to make cheese caves more varied and more interesting, and they've reduced the likelihood of one block thin toothpick pillars. There are also a few tweaks to ore distribution, including slightly more iron and larger blobs of diamond ore forming in these new caves. 
Some changes to powder snow with the durability and hardness being slightly increased. Freeze time in powder snow has decreased to seven seconds and the hurt frequency has decreased to two seconds. Entities on fire will now melt powder snow when they come into contact with it. Increase in vertical movement speed within powder snow. Strays, polar bears, and snow golems are now immune to freezing, as one would expect. Mobs now shake when they are fully frozen. Skeletons converting to strays now only take seven seconds to begin converting, down from a previous 30 seconds. Leather horse armor now protects horses from freeze damage. Mobs that enjoy the heat like blazes, magma cubes, and striders take increased freeze damage. The trade and loot table additions include the mason now selling four dripstone blocks for one emerald. The wandering trader will sell two pointed dripstone for one emerald two rooted dirt for one emerald, and two moss blocks for one emerald. Moss blocks can also be found in shipwreck chests, and glow berries can be found in abandoned mineshaft chests. Technical changes in 21W13A, they've added a metric cube of light. Again, a metric cube of light. <sighs> Unused parts of the code are no longer removed. Explanation coming in just a minute. Hold on to your hats. Uh, the light block is an OP only slash give air like water loggable block. Emits a light and a level determined by a block state. Visible and targetable only when the item is held, similar to a barrier block. The light level is set by right clicking through a cycle of values 0 through 15. The fixed bugs of note in 21W13A. Boy, there is a long list of bugs. So go go over to the Minecraft.net article and, and read it there. But uh, a few that I picked out were that observers uh, don't detect uh, when a grass block changes if dirt uh, is there or a tree grows on top of it. Stonecutter saw spins both ways simultaneously, which would be very hard on the eyes. Uh, some experience points do not go towards mending repair, even if mending gear is not fully repaired. Mobs don't pathfind across powder snow blocks without when they're sorry when they're not wandering, uh, and there are a number of texture mirror errors that they've fixed in these bugs. But again, the full list is in the Minecraft.net article. And we were not without an April Fool's post uh, introducing Minecraft Plus. Uh, again, full article will be linked on Minecraft.net, including a YouTube video explaining what it is. Basically, it's a retro Microsoft Windows Plus screensaver download, uh, but you can get the gist by watching the YouTube video. Yeah, so uh, let's let's talk a little bit about Minecraft Plus while it's still fresh in our minds. Um, I thought this was fun. It was a fun diversion and kind of a neat throwback to an era I'm sure many of us, including probably some of the Minecraft devs and art team, uh, remember quite fondly. Um, and also, while I'm sure it was a labor of love for them, uh, it's probably a little bit lower effort than coding a whole new snapshot would be, especially the day after they put out 21W13A. And I honestly think this might have been a good move, given the amount of discourse we've seen online where the developers have had to push back against people saying, like, why isn't there a snapshot this week? What are you guys doing? Um, and obviously development takes time, so nobody can make the snap judgment that they've wasted time on an April Fool's joke when they could have been making the cave update better. Um, <laughs> I, I think the problem really is that they've set a precedent for each year's April Fool's joke being playable, 
and this was more of a passive experience. Uh, there were people coming into my Twitch chat asking, like, what was the April Fool's snapshot this year? And it, it wasn't a snapshot. It was just, like, a, a, a fun downloadable thing. Or you could even play it in your browser if you had a browser above a certain version that was, yeah, just a, a screensaver, like, in the, the classic Windows uh, 95 style and uh, yeah, as, as somebody who's seen a bunch of screensavers from that era, it certainly resonated with me. Uh, how about you, Joel? Oh yeah, no, I'm old enough to have had, I think it was Windows, I think Windows 95 was probably one of the first versions of Windows that I had that I remember, because uh, we would have had family computers when I was a teenager, about when that was coming out. Um, and uh, yeah, I mean, I remember Solitaire, I remember the screensavers, I remember all that kind of stuff. Um, I... I will confess I'm not the biggest April Fools fan uh, yeah, especially I mean, in the world. Yeah, especially in the internet where you just can't just you can't get away from it. You can't trust anything you read. Um the problem that I have uh I actually got called out by an April Fools joke or caught out, I guess I should say. Uh I won't name names, I won't even describe what happened, but I was watching a YouTube video not on April 1st, but I neglected to look when it was posted and it was a fairly decent presentation for the first three minutes until I realized, oh, it's an April Fool's thing. I was, I was mad. I, yeah, I left, uh -huh. I left a thumbs down. I was just like, I, I don't mind a good joke, but I don't like it when it's misleading. And I think there's been this precedent of like, present something very cool as if it's real and then yank the rug out from under people. And I, yeah. I don't like that. I don't like that, that feeling. Um, an example of something I thought was really funny though, um, people know that I've been playing Satisfactory a lot and they've pushed an update on April 1st and all it did was give you a bobblehead. So you as the engineer <laughs> had this giant head and if you rode around in the factory cart, your head would stick out of the factory cart like you're a Mario Kart character. Nice. Yeah. It's like big yeah. head mode in like, yeah. uh, like the old Tony Hawk's games and whatnot. Yeah, yeah. exactly. So, I mean, that was funny. And then some of the aliens were different shapes. They took the giant whale thing and they made it the size of a cow. It's usually <laughs> the size of like a dinosaur, right? Like yeah, so they, uh -huh. they changed a bunch of stuff like that. It, it affected no gameplay. It wasn't all received as like oh they're doing something cool like if coffee stain wanted to be really gross they could have pushed a door update which people have been asking for forever only to then call it back and say april fools which people would be mad you know uh so uh, i'm glad that they went that way and it kind of makes me wonder you know with minecraft they do some cool stuff around christmas time and halloween uh, and i wonder if they could do something in the game April 1st. Now, I don't know if it would be possible because they'd have to push something new every April, but you could do something funny like change zombies' heads to be backwards or like you could just, for that one day, you know, uh, similar to how the Christmas chests happen at Christmas time. And I think it's pumpkins on heads at Halloween. Yeah, it is. Yeah. Um, yeah. So stuff like that. I think that would be a fun thing to do because no one is going to be confused that it's a game feature, right? They're going to be like, oh, okay, funny sense of humor. Yeah. Um, the other thing that I think they could do. Uh, they've been doing these really cute, really fun uh, animated uh, things with uh, Agnes and Jens um, for um, some of the feature updates and the mob votes and stuff like that. And as long as it was very clear that it was jokey from the beginning on April 1st, I think that could be a very fun thing. So it's not an update. It's not a download. It's, you know, it's something that they that have a very Minecraft touch to it, but could still be very silly and, and fun. Yeah, the, the one thing I was thinking of that was kind of backfired in in my opinion was the april 2018 uh texture update <laughs> because at the, at the time i think they were working on the texture update for 1.14 and mm -hmm. they decided to push like a a kind of 
really lo-fi, like even more lo-fi than actual Minecraft uh, texture pack to basically everybody at once. And I think maybe you could still overwrite it if you had resource packs and stuff. But the problem with that was when content creators decided to make a video that day, what they had was these awful like April Fool's textures. And if it's, a pu if it's something that gets pushed to everybody at the same time, then you can't really do a whole lot about it. Whereas I feel like the, the, the fun thing about containing that within a snapshot has been it's something that you can voluntarily download you know right um, yeah so i think like little stuff like chests becoming presents around christmas is fine it's only for a couple of days and a lot of the time people are going to take that day off anyway because they're spending it with family so anyone recording on that day is obviously you know just going to be fine with chests looking a little different um mm -hmm. but yeah i feel like if it affects absolutely everybody then sometimes that can feel a bit more disruptive than fun i think that's mm -hmm. why the the infinity snapshot last year was possibly the peak of what they could do with uh with a snapshot because it just had for a start so much content in a way that it was it was actually a version of minecraft people could play and people did and then beyond that it was also kind of road testing some features that ended up being in the game in terms of you know custom dimensions and biome tweaks and things like that so it, it makes sense that they've kind of reined it in a little bit done something completely different this year and then who knows maybe next year we'll get something even cooler but uh yeah fun and a nice little distraction i particularly enjoyed the um the the starfield uh version with creeper heads instead of you know white pixels streaking <laughs> past you it was yeah. it was a bunch of creeper heads just kind of floating out from the background and passing you in the foreground millennium falcon hyperdrive style and yeah, yeah. I, I like stuff like that it's it's just fun and it doesn't do any harm is the main thing yeah, no, I agree. I I would prefer to have this than something like a a feature that would be cool looking, but then ultimately not not real. Yeah, without them yeah. yanking the rug from under you, kind of thing. Mm -hmm. Well, yeah. let's let's talk a little about the stuff that they haven't yanked the rug. Um, we'll we'll clarify the section of the show notes or the section of the the, the patch notes here that says uh, unused parts of the code are no longer removed because I was curious about this as well, and I actually found a really concise post about this from a reddit user named forks and guys we'll link this comment in the show notes as well but they said if anyone is wondering what the unused bit is basically mojang has debugging infrastructure that normally gets removed when the game ships because players don't need it but they are now including it they're sending it over so that modders can play with it compilers also do stuff such as inline constants imagine you have a variable that's just an integer a compiler might replace instances of that variable with an integer making code more difficult to read so now those constants are included with the game for people who decompile the code put in layman's terms uh this will allow modders to have an easier time troubleshooting and fixing bugs and obviously that's something that mojang has kind of been moving towards with sharing large parts of the code on github and uh you know refining the terms of what constitutes you know fair use of their resources and um there's, there's like a, a few things that have just made it a little bit easier for people who mod Minecraft on a regular basis to do what they do. So it seems like that's a uh, another move towards making sections of the game a little bit more open source. I mean, I don't really... I mean, I understand it in the layman's terms, but I mean, I, to me, it's a good thing. Like, I, I, it's clear now what they meant by that in, in the um, the log from the, the change log. Um, but yeah, I mean... 
a lot of times, you know, we have that scramble when a new version of Minecraft comes out with people waiting for mods, you know, to be updated. And if this makes it faster, then that's a win-win. Yeah, it's it's not the kind of thing that the average player is really going to interact with, but for people who are coding stuff to, you know, mod Minecraft in general, it's it's definitely a good thing. Uh, let's move on to something else that we don't necessarily interact with in survival, but does still feel like quite an important part of this changelog, and that's light blocks. Um, I should clarify before we dive into this that Bedrock players are probably familiar with light blocks already. They've been part of Bedrock Edition since 1.13, and thanks to Bedrock Edition numbering, that's not the update Aquatic, that's actually one of the later updates that added some of the village and pillage features, like foxes with roses and uh, suspicious stew. But the light block is now going to be a thing in Java, which I think is a pretty big deal for, at the very least, creative builders right? Because this is a block that acts like a barrier block, is invisible to anybody who isn't holding a light block themselves, and is adjustable based on, you know, right-clicking on it or setting a data value before you place it to determine what light level it emits. But aside from that, it's transparent, it has no collision, You can, a player can walk through it, mobs can walk through it, and they don't get any kind of weird pathfinding issue. It's basically a really smart addition to the game in terms of creative builds and maps for people to explore if you don't want to have to hide light blocks everywhere. Yeah, and I think that it it opens up, uh, uh, in a way, the, the process that players are, are trying to figure out how to get more lighting into your builds without relying on the limited number of blocks um, that we have that all emit mostly the same, you know, volume of light. Uh, I'll, I don't remember the episode number. I should have looked it up before the show, but we talked about uh, Cubfan135's video quite a long time ago when he was talking about solutions to the, the lighting problem for endgame players. And uh, I feel like the thing that people come to a lot, uh, especially with emails to the show, is often painting with light, you know, wanting to make anything you want a like a light emitting block in the game. Uh, which is obviously a little bit OP. Um, and this block is for, you know, uh, OP or, or creative mode only. Um, I would imagine, and uh, as to, you know, a little bit of research before the show, there's already a data pack. Uh, dynamic lighting for 21W13A by L30 on Planet Minecraft. I'll have the link in the show notes. And I mean, so this does what you, it says in the tin. It adds dynamic lighting similar to Optifine to vanilla Minecraft using this light block without having to have Optifine. Mm -hmm. uh, and so you can still have, you know, the torch in your hand lighting your way without um, without causing issue uh, or without needing Optifine. Um, I would argue that while that's cool, most people use Optifine now anyway just for performance. So I don't know how big of a deal that is for dynamic lighting. However, I was watching Exumavoid uh, do his uh, summation of, of the snapshot and he was just, very excited to see what data packs will be created and get this into survival, like allow you to craft this block in survival via data pack so that you can do this kind of stuff in your survival builds. Because so many of us want to be able to look into that dark corner, have it be a light level of maybe four or something just so you can see what's going on aesthetically uh, or, you know, be able to light something so that's mob proof. You're not getting rained on by creepers in your, you know, church rafters without having to put down lanterns or torches or other, you know, other spawn proofing blocks. And uh, I, 
on one hand, I'm I'm excited to see what data packs come. But my question is, since this is the only way to get it in survival mode, why didn't or doesn't Mojang just make a way for it to be made in survival rather than making everyone have to go get a data pack, which if it becomes popular is just going to be like the new default, right? It's going to be, we want multiplayer sleep. We want a light data pack. You know, we, you know, that kind of stuff just becomes like a default baseline for, for Minecraft. And, yeah. you know, like I, I don't want to like, and I, and I know that it's not realistic to have a light block, but like we have blazes that float and have things that spin around them. And we have rockets and elytra and floating everything in Minecraft. So like, I don't necessarily think the realistic argument is going to hold very much. Um, yeah. Um, so like, I just don't, I don't know where to land on it. Like I'm excited about it. It's cool, but I don't know how, I don't want to say practical. I just don't know how clean of a solution it is. Yeah. I, I think the main reason it isn't available to survival players is because the way it has to function makes it intangible. Um, so much of survival Minecraft relies on, like, you can break the blocks you can see. And, right. you know, this one has no collision, it's invisible, it can't be interacted with unless you're holding a light source yourself. I mean, imagine that for Bedrock players who can't hold other stuff in their offhand, you know? Like, as soon as you hold it in your hand, great, but then you can't break it unless you've got the right tool to break it. You put the light block away to take out the tool, the light block in front of you disappears, you can't mine it, <laughs> you know? And right. I, I, I would assume that anything like this in survival would probably have to be broken, like, with a bare hand. But again, that is then the player interacting with the world in a in a different way nothing in survival has functionality like that and making a block with collision just turns it into another light source <laughs> it's just another yes. it has the same issues with the other light sources that we have right now the only thing i can think of that really works like this is a torch because torches don't have any collision either you know they are mm -hmm. you know otherwise fairly intangible blocks you place them down you walk over them through them whatever the problem is you have to put up with the appearance of a torch being there all of the time and that ultimately means that you can just walk around bopping torches and picking them up again and i think the light block isn't going to be available to survival players because of the same reason like you know you don't want to give survival players a barrier block because then it's intangible you don't know where it is until you're holding something and this might be the reason we don't have the ability to make non-light source blocks glow because it just becomes hard to tell where they are and what right. you need to remove or adjust in survival in order to delete that light source i think it's you know it feels too behind the scenes and technical and it kind of maybe removes a bit of the immersion i know what you were talking about realism and how that doesn't necessarily apply but yeah i i feel like it's it's still the kind of thing that they want to leave open to creative builders. The thing about that is that naturally that's more about painting with light than it is about preventing mob spawning, right? And I, I think this is this is more an adjustment for creative builders to be able to light their builds evenly and not have to deal with shadowy areas where they want to leave a highlight than yeah. it is a solution to survival-based mob spawning. Because most creative builders, if they didn't want to have that light and shadow issue and they didn't want to have mob spawn they can just turn off you know any mob spawning they can use a game rule to disable it so it's not about that side of the game this is much more a feature for people who want to light their builds in an artistic way 
And yeah, it's about getting that light level of like four up in the corner of the of the catacombs, just so you can see the detail that you put into those columns that you spent weeks and weeks and weeks on. Yeah, no, I, I yeah. would agree. I, I think you're I think you're right in that. You know, like it would be confusing to players in survival, and and, and it goes against like the the basic you know interaction with Minecraft, and and that is absolutely meant to be a, a tool for for creative people. But I I'm wondering, like I'm just wondering how down the line it's going to be used with data packs like if because i mean with a data pack you can also assign it you know the thing in your hand could have a model there could be a way for it to be visible in the world i don't know how you know like there, i feel like because of the experience that i've had with data packs that turn things like trapdoors into tables and chairs uh the chair is a pig for pete's sake it's a pig with a saddle and the pig's invisible um so stuff like that is it's really um i know how deep data packs can go and so I'm wondering what the community is going to come up with um, that I haven't been able to think of in five days, you know? Yeah, I mean, the, the point I think is that, that using a data pack is really going to be a choice, and it's a choice that is made by people who know Minecraft well enough at this point to understand that they can't achieve what they're trying to achieve with the resources available to them, which is why people go to stuff like the Armour Stand book if they want more detail and sub-block stuff, or, you know, they go to, yeah, your tables and chairs data pack if you want more access to stuff like furniture. But I feel like adding a light block like this into survival in vanilla is going to lead players to think this is the path that they need to go down in order to light this stuff rather than explore the limitations and the creativity and working in light sources into the environment that we've had to do for the past 10 years of this game. And I don't I don't think this is necessarily a good evolution of lighting in survival. I'm not saying there is no solution to it. I just think maybe this isn't it. Or if it is going to end up being something like this, this is just the first step down the line of refining that into something that works and feels balanced in a survival context for anybody out there that's a, a creative player specifically if you're creating content for like the minecraft marketplace or if you are a content creator and a creative builder like write us in uh, let us know I i'd love to hear your thoughts absolutely and with that we should probably move into uh chunk mail for this week Yes, and that email address that I uh, want you to use is spawnchunkmail at gmail.com. And our first email comes from so much lag, one of my favorite usernames, uh, <laughs> Caves and Ores after modded Minecraft. Hello, Johnny and Joel. I would like to start by saying thank you for the podcast. I always look forward to the new episode. I have only ever played vanilla Minecraft, but I recently tried a mod pack to change things up. While I wasn't a fan of everything, one aspect that really stood out to me was the caves and the mining experience. Obviously, caves are getting a huge upgrade in 117, but I want to focus here more on the mining and mining of ores. Within the mod pack, there were next to no ores outside of caves. The only way to find resources was spelunking. This meant that strip mining, which everyone can agree is very boring, was useless. This encouraged me to actually explore caves and take risks. This was a fun way to gather resources and a very different from uh, and very different from boring old strip mines. However, Mojang seems to be doing the opposite with 117. Many ores have reduced air exposure. In my opinion, this makes caving far less enticing and simply strip mining would be much faster. Even if it is boring, to me, it seems more logical to have increased ore visibility in caves, as this means players will have more reason to spelunking to go spelunking in large caverns that may be dangerous and filled with mobs, but are quite rewarding. As a final thought, it seems possible that one of the reasons players uh, and content creators 
thinking diamonds are too common is because they're exploring with night vision on in spectator mode, uh, which makes everything much easier to see. Players in survival won't be able to instantly see everything in a cave. Thanks for reading. So much lag has fell out of the world. <laughs> well, I, I'm going to disagree with the last point that players in survival wouldn't be able to instantly see everything in a cave. My YouTube comments section instantly sees a lot of stuff in a cave um, that, that I apparently miss as I'm wandering around not gathering all of the lapis and the redstone. Um, but yeah, thank you for that that opinion. I think it's, it's an interesting take because obviously modded stuff is going to be balanced differently to vanilla caving. And I'd be interested to, see, to hear what this mod pack was because... I mean, I've seen a lot of mod packs with a great deal of buried ores, and I wonder if saying that there are no ores, you know, buried further in the stone is accurate, or if you just found enough from the surface that you didn't want to go digging, or if there was actually a mod that brought all the ore to the surface. Um, the difference often comes down to it being easier to obtain ores in modded Minecraft, I think, because of modded tools allowing for faster digging, three by three areas of block breaking or even vein mining stone uh, which some people will include in a mod pack so they can just you know break one block and an entire area gets cleared out leaving all of the ores exposed and that's how they know exactly what they're getting from each area um i feel like balancing caving in vanilla is is kind of tough and because there are fewer ores and there are different methods of gathering these ores it it's a bit of a different proposition than it would be in modded how do you how do you feel about the suggestion in general joel i i think it kind of leans a little bit towards what we were talking about i think it was last week with the changes in ore distribution and talking about that sweet spot where you're down to diamond level but you're not yet in the deep dark and that's just going to be like the new diamond level mm -hmm. and that's where people are just going to head they're going to strip mine there and get most of what they need because they're going to be able to hit all the different things um, but then you had brought up a point about in areas where there is less ore, where the, uh, in the Y level, where the ore is going to happen the least, uh, um, frequently, those should have more air exposure. And I think that might be the balance is, is that when you're looking for ores where in an area where it's going to be sparse, having more air exposure would be good, but, um, making the players dig a little bit more, um, in areas where it's more dense will encourage more of the mining and the resource gathering. I kind I do lean towards the the more exposed in the walls of caves. I think it looks cooler. Uh I think it would um again like like so much like pointed out encourage more exploration. Uh I guess it just depends on the size of the cave as to how much is exposed. Like if you expose a lot of ores in a really large cave, it will be difficult for the player to see because you can't see past you know what is it 32 40 blocks something like that before the darkness just takes over and you can't mm -hmm. really see the other side and i think that would be a good solution hiding things in darkness rather than burying them behind stone because something that i've been thinking about is this balance between large caves and the more frequent mega caves that they mentioned in this week's snapshot and how much rock are we going to have to dig through before we can get to stuff and is it going to be more grindy because that's not necessarily what I want from Minecraft experience. I understand that that's part of the game, but I feel like it's grindy enough as it is. I don't necessarily want it to be more so. Um, but I can also understand that removing too much of that and then there's less to do, you know? Um, I would imagine it would be a neat experiment to go into the, the Caves and Cliffs uh, release and not 
dig too far, like just try to get stuff from the surface and see how much you get, you know, in a, in a, in a mining session. Yeah. Um, I mean, that that's sort of what I was doing in my snapshot video this week. I went caving looking for, you know, the glow squids and axolotls mm. spawning. And um, in, in, in this latest snapshot, I still found enough diamonds on the surface level for a pickaxe and some boots. It didn't really feel excessive. And I think the main thing is balancing the fact that you can now see a much wider surface area than you could in the old style caves because that's really the reason you start a strip mine in a cave system is because you run into so many dead ends that you think, oh, I, I may as well just dig down here and then if you come out into another smaller portion of cave that's still at diamond level, you go and explore that cave and then you start digging into the walls again. Now there is such a vast open area, you might be able to see exposed ores from further away and you can take the approach of exploring much more of that cave on foot and and kind of traversing a larger area than you could previously which i think leads to you probably exploring more blocks worth of area and so it balances out because even when you've got like less ore distribute you, you got like a, a lower proportion of diamonds in these caves you are simply looking at more exposed blocks to begin with which is what branch mining does the whole mm -hmm. point is to expose mm -hmm. as many blocks in a more systematic way um and yeah believe me like as someone who resisted the urge to fly around with night vision and explore the snapshots in survival instead i was finding a lot of diamonds in those early days like it's it's not just content creator bias or you know the bias of looking around in spectator mode with night vision before or generation really got tweaked i had full diamond tools and armor in the first 90 minutes of a world and that felt too fast too to fast me. yeah yeah i would um, agree and I, I feel like, you know, even even in the kind of situations where you're trying to gear up quickly, like a UHC or something like that, 90 minutes is probably like close to the end of a UHC. If somebody has full diamond armor, they are winning that battle royale at the end, you know? Um, so I think, yeah, it, 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 is, it is balanced a little bit more with just the size of these caves a little bit better and it's easier to say on paper there are fewer diamonds visible to the surface and you're comparing that to your experience of caving in 116 where you don't really find right. diamonds on the surface much anyway and you think oh there's going to be no diamonds not the case believe me right. there's, there's there's just a lot more um, a lot more exposed blocks yeah the surface area in those mega caves is is a lot it's a um, lot yeah and yeah. We'll, we'll get we'll get into a bit more of the the cave formation and stuff in this uh this uh discussion in this week's episode but um, yeah, I think regardless of how inviting Mojang makes caves, and there are other reasons to explore the caves as well. You've got like lush caves and dripstone caves coming in, so there are resources to find beyond just precious materials. Um, I think some players are still going to prefer to branch mine for resources anyway, because it's safer, it yields larger amounts of building material, and depending on your strategy, it's very systematic. You know, if you're exploring a certain amount of area you are guaranteeing that you're going to find ores because you're exposing as many blocks as possible and it's really about balancing effort versus reward branch mining or strip mining i would argue should be more rewarding because it feels like you're putting more effort in <laughs> whereas you know until combat gets rebalanced pve in caves is pretty easy for the experienced player you know the example i always give is that you can if you've got a shield you can 
block a point-blank creeper explosion on hard and take no damage. All the mobs around you will die, <laughs> and, and this creeper's going to deal no damage to you. So it really takes very little time to go through a cave and strip all of the resources from the surface, if that's where they all are. Um, I wanted to bring up a tweet that King B-Dogs made, uh, and I'll quote this verbatim. Uh, quote, when ore distribution is tweaked for new cave generation, the progression in early game could really change. It makes me wonder if we made diamond much lower down, it could take longer to get diamond and feel like a longer journey. And that sounds like an exciting shakeup to me. So this was tweeted back in February. This was February 10th. Um, so obviously they were still kind of working out what the new ore generation was going to look like. But again, I don't think Mojang wants you to have full diamond armor in 90 minutes. I think they still want you to be able to find diamonds by exploring caves, and I think we're getting closer to the sweet spot where people who have a variety of approaches to mining are going to be rewarded for the amount of effort they put in. Yeah, I'm I'm curious to see how that, you know, in-game meta goes as the we get closer to the release and as the once the release actually comes and you realize like how how that's going to happen. I don't know how my experience is going to be because of course we're not updating or we are updating the Citadel, we're not starting over again. So, I mean, I already have diamond gear. I don't even wear diamond gear. Yeah, <laughs> like exactly. I, I, I have netherite tools and stuff, but like, there's, I don't know how much of that is really going to be a thing. That's why I'm interested to try a survival, you know, let's play with the snapshots because I'm curious about how that, that's going to go. Yeah, it's, it's going to be an interesting one. Uh, let's move on to the next email, which is, again, related to the snapshots. This one uh, is from Torda66, and the subject is the dazzling glow squid. Hey Johnny and Joel, I was thinking recently about some of the new features coming in the Caves and Cliffs update and noticed the Glow Squid already feels like an overlooked feature even before it's been fully released. I have a couple of ideas to share with you about how this mob could be a bit more interesting. During the Minecon livestream, the animation of the Glow Squid showed it hypnotizing the player, but that feature has not been implemented into the actual game. An actual hypnotic effect would be very difficult to implement, but it could perhaps be simulated by having a dazzling effect if you looked at it, similar to how endermen become aggressive when you look at them. I would imagine that it'd be similar to the nausea effect, except it might show bursts of light, as if you'd just been dazzled by a bright light, maybe lasting for around 30 seconds, in which you'd be vulnerable to some kind of attack or the glow squid gets away. Of course, it would need to be considered how to make it accessible, as I imagine that bright flashing lights would not be entirely safe for the entire player base. Another feature that's been discussed on the show before is implementing some kind of flare. What if the glow ink sack could be crafted into a flare that could be thrown or launched, creating some kind of light-emitting goo on contact which could be temporary or permanent? Either way, I think these features would add value to the glow squid and encourage players to seek them out. What are your thoughts on how the glow squid could be improved to become more than an ambient mob with a fairly niche use? Thanks again for the outstanding podcast. Happy mining and crafting, Torda66. So there's an image attached to the email. Uh, they did a little art rendering of what they thought this might look like. Uh, I'll have that in the show notes as well. Uh, I'm imagining something similar to like maybe the freeze effect on your screen. So not like a big bright white flash. I thought it was also really nice that they pointed out that that wouldn't be safe for all players. For, for accessibility reasons. And yes. it, it's the kind of thing that I think would also be affected by the slider that now changes nausea effects and lessens the wobble that you get as you go through yeah. nether portals. But uh, yeah, that, that's at least a good point. And, and thank you for bringing that up. I, I don't think it necessarily needs to abs like uh, flash or, or 
disorient your view. I think maybe just an overlay that would obscure your peripheral vision, like just kind of narrow your field of view down to something that, you know, you can only see what's immediately in front of you, kind of like changing your, your FOV down to like 55 or something. But without that change, just have an overlay similar to like that frost effect, but have yeah. it be sparkles. The The image for people listening, it, it looks similar to like when a cartoon character gets bopped on the head and they see stars, like that kind of a thing. Just like an animated kind of thing happening in front of you. And I, I think that would be kind of neat. I don't think it necessarily has to have with a, come with an attack or anything like that. It just could be, it could make hunting glow squids harder right? It could maybe encourage players to use axolotls to get glow squids instead of trying to get them themselves because maybe the axolotl isn't affected or maybe the axolotl is affected and gets dizzy when it attacks glow squids, which Mm -hmm. would be very cute. You know, like there could be some fun, fun depth there. I just thought it was a neat idea. Um, We've talked about flares and throwable light sources and stuff like that on, on the show before. I don't necessarily think we have to rehash that here, but I do wish that there was more to the glow ink sacks than just the glow item frame. I feel like the one-to-one use there is a little myopic and maybe there's more to it. Now, I don't know what that is yet, but I feel like there could be some potential uses for it. I I like the idea of like glow sticks, you know, like the glow sticks you'd see at like parties and like Halloween and stuff like that. <laughs> yeah, that yeah. Could be, that could be kind of fun. Um, like, you know, like a glow ink sack and a glass bottle. Like what what does that make for, for people? I don't know. Um, but yeah, I just, I feel like there there could be more done with the glow ink sack beyond just the item frame yeah i definitely agree i think there's room for more functionality with glow ink maybe in future updates and i think you'd need to make glow ink or any other glow squid drops more valuable to really justify having this dazzle effect because sure it's maybe part of the natural defenses of the glow squid but if the glow effect is going to be that disorienting to players if you're going to try and simulate something like that or it's going to become annoying to deal with, then people just aren't going to bother fighting the glow squid. They're going to be like, well, I don't need glow ink. You know, mm-hmm. <laughs> like I, I think you really need to balance again, like the amount of effort players have to go through with a reward of, you know, equal magnitude. You have to make sure that it's something players want to seek out. And right now, glow ink is good for a variety of reasons, just for visibility and stuff like that. But it doesn't necessarily have a great deal of value beyond that and the glow squid having this kind of defense mechanism isn't going to be all that helpful to to players it's 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 going to feel a little bit more annoying than anything else and would discourage players from interacting with something newer maybe further down the line though could be justified so if 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 glow ink gets more uses we could see something like this being being implemented as you fight the glow squid uh i might have to backtrack a little bit correct me if i'm wrong but if i'm remembering the glow ink uh, snapshot update you can also use glow ink on signs like you can make signs glow yeah yeah it makes the okay. text much more visible in darker areas right. or right. against other types of wood yeah right okay good i just i i realized i just said only glow item frames i was like no there's more than that that was too narrow i knew there was something else but that yeah okay good i'm, I'm glad i caught that save your emails <laughs> yeah um, uh, again still a fairly niche use though as torda pointed yeah. out it's is the yeah. kind of thing that most players are probably still going to do like oak signs with black text on for for readability and you know you can customize a bit more of that now but yeah i i think the the glow squid when i've encountered them in the snapshots have actually been quite fun and maybe it's just the fact that they're new because they do spawn naturally in the world now so it was cool seeing them in caves for the first time and they really do stand out you know compared to the squid and uh other aquatic life 
they don't have that shadowy effect that is cast on them by a lack of block light sources. They pop out in the same way that the sign text and the glow item frames are supposed to pop out. So I think it's it it adds some some interest to those darker environments before you add a ton of light sources around in the underwater aquifers that you find glow squid do seem quite at home there was i more than just diverted by them for a couple of minutes not really you know Mm -hmm. i i don't see myself interacting with them a whole lot more until i want to get large supplies of glow ink for whatever but i think it's just kind of cool that they exist right now and while i'm sure the community is against adding more loosely speaking ambient mobs i don't think there's really any harm in them right now (laughs) i do want them in an aquarium like i'd love to have some snooty penthouse with like an in-wall aquarium with a bunch of glowy squid Mm -hmm. swimming around i think that would be fun just adding movement i think to builds is is really cool makes me remember um i think it was impulse that did like a guardian squid thing in like season five or six of yeah he had like a, hit. a laser light show on top of laser light show yeah. yeah yeah so now you can have like laser squid dry, flying around like even mm-hmm. if it's just you know a squid in a minecart going around in circles like it would still look like a light source or or at least it would stand out like you said if it's unaffected by shadow then that would be kind of cool too well let's uh go, get into our main discussion here which is going to be a shorter one because we're basically just circling back around to the stuff we didn't cover after the news read which is uh, goats, uh, axolotls, and glow squids spawning, and uh, some of the changes to these uh, mega caves. Um, so, having run around the caves in the snapshots, I think the main thing I'm taking away from it is that in one of the recent Dev Diary videos, they talked about making the feeling of caving similar to the feeling you get when exploring the surface. And I've played enough Minecraft that I navigate the surface by landmarks a lot of the time. I don't really need to leave myself like a trail of blocks to follow to get back to uh, where I started. And I'm finding that playing these new snapshots in survival, I'm doing that myself in caves now. You know, I don't necessarily need to light my way as much because the caves are so expansive and have enough interesting features about them that I've noticed myself navigating by landmarks. And the new... um, clusters of dripstone that appear in these caves even though dripstone caves in full haven't been implemented yet they add another landmark on your journey through these caves they add just another like okay cluster of dripstones there on the left so if i you know have that on my right hand side i know i'm headed back in the right direction the way i came there's lots of little things popping up now that make it easier to navigate in such wide open spaces and I think overall the picture of what we're getting with the cave update is becoming a lot clearer to me. And I'm I'm liking the way it's going so far. Yeah, having watched your video for the snapshot this week, uh, it felt a lot more like bounding around in adventure rather than just like, oh, new feature. And then you're on to something else. Like mm-hmm. it, it feels like it's becoming a lot more cohesive. And uh, I mean, all the changes that they described about Mega Cave sounds good to me. Uh, I feel like it might remove some of the grind for those players that want to create like large underground chasms that you'd have to make by hand. Definitely. Yeah. You know, you could get a serious head start with a a big cave. And like you said, if some of those landmarks are really distinct, like think about uh, the, the less frequent uh, toothpick pillars, but perhaps seeing some very cool, like five by five or other naturally generated like stone pillars that you might want to keep you know, and incorporate into your build somehow or might inspire you to do something in that area. Um, That kind of stuff. I I love the idea of 
adventuring underground, it feeling big enough. Because really, when you're on the surface, like you don't look much past like what Y60, like or, yeah. or like, you're on Y63, so like Y Y100. You're not really looking up past that much, unless you're in like a shattered savanna or something. So really, you're focused on just that. So when you're underground, you have that same kind of POV vertically. And there's enough room now with going down to negative 64 that you can kind of have that experience and be able to travel both vertically and horizontally uh, and explore in that way. And it look it looks really cool. I especially, I, I noticed that the big thing that I noticed in the change was you being distracted by um, the carvers being tall enough to walk through. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's It's nice. The previous ones that I've run into, and I think this may also have been before over you know above y0 cave generation hadn't quite been blended into below zero cave generation is that you'd run into so many areas where the caves would bottom out and then the headroom would just be one block and without any means to crawl under there unless you want to you know make a trap door and crawl through it you found that you were just losing headroom all the time and the fact that they're they're paying close enough attention to detail at this point that they've stopped making cracks that you can't really get through uh like that actually yeah it, it feels like really good attention to detail and it, it doesn't change the pace of caving too much anymore whereas before it would bring you to almost a grinding halt if you wanted to crawl through that space to see what was beyond it which was usually not very much um yeah i, I think i think it's good that there are just little tweaks like that being made at this stage and honestly i've been saying this over and over again but i will never get tired of seeing diamonds when you look up at the ceiling <laughs> i think that's the the, <laughs> the the most overwhelmingly jarring change to me but in a good way is mm. look at, looking up and seeing diamonds 30 blocks above me <laughs> in some sort of underground cave or ravine or whatever it, it's it's really interesting seeing how differently that and, and i expect after a while we'll all get used to that as just a, a fact about the world but for the first year or so it's still going to feel pretty entertaining to do um, I think it feels more tectonic, like it feels more alive. It feels like a world that is subject to forces and erosion, you know? Yeah, and, and as people have pointed out, it really adds a lot more mine into Minecraft, which is very much a good thing. Um, I haven't had a look at the newer abandoned mineshaft generation yet. Um, I think Henrik Nieberg posted a really great seed and coordinates to a screenshot that he posted earlier in the week before the snapshot came out that had a massive what i like to call the jungle gym uh style abandoned mineshaft where there were like 20 block high chains connecting them to the ceiling and they've they've really increased the upper limit of how those mineshafts can be supported so they don't just end as they enter one of those large caverns and it's really cool stumbling upon generated structures like that it helps them feel a bit more unique and 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 really quite cool looking so looking forward to finding some of those as well. Um, while we're still underground too, I think Axolotl and Glow Squid spawning naturally really helped them feel like cemented features of the game for me. Like It was fun playing around with them, spawning them with spawn eggs in creative, but I think just seeing them as part of Minecraft's natural ecosystem is once again making them feel like a more fleshed out feature. The first Glow Squid I found had actually made its way to the surface and i don't know if that's just because they spawn at certain elevations or if it was because there was a cave nearby and it floated up while i was exploring a swamp but i found it on the surface it was a surprise to me and and a good one and then 
I turned to my right and there was a cave crack that was kind of, you know, the swamp transitioned into one of those aquifers that goes deeper down. And some axolotls just casually swam out of that and started attacking the squid in the river. And seeing stuff like that happening around you instead of having to spawn it in and, and, and do all of that stuff manually, it felt so much more integrated into the world than we'd seen them before. So I don't know if they still plan on adjusting where they spawn once we get the full world generation with you know the biome paint of lush and dripstone caves i think axolotls were mainly supposed to be a lush cave thing but if we you know know where to go to seek them out or if we are just going to stumble into them randomly i think either way it's going to work out pretty well for us i think it has to be careful too because if they, if they attack everything in the ocean or water in general then if too many of them start to come up into the rivers and lakes then it's going to be a problem when you want to get a glow squid or want to get a fish or something and you're just like well all the axolotls have killed them <laughs> like, it's like yeah. why are there no fish in this pond it's like oh crap <laughs> yeah we, <laughs> you know, we'll like run that. for fun in our live chat has pointed out that underground mobs uh the the glow squid and the axolotl have their own new mob cap which has a max of five so you're not going to see that many of them popping up in oh, one place cool. and of course with the axolotl we can breed them although i'm not sure if that's still going to be with tropical fish or if that is going to change but either mm. way um yeah you're not going to find too many of them springing up that way and you know you could always give them a couple of whacks with a sword if it's a problem for you but uh yeah you're still not going to want to put them in an aquarium even though they have a cooldown on attacking stuff now they are gonna they're, they're gonna take out your precious glow squid in your penthouse apartment <laughs> so yes, you probably want to keep yeah. them in separate tanks at that keep stage separate tanks yeah it would be neat to have them close enough that they could detect one another you know, yeah. and then just watch them kind of one watch one run while the other one tries to get to the get to the other i i i wonder with the cooldown um and, I, and you might be able to clarify this because i think you mentioned something in the um original um changelog that i didn't realize is that while they prioritize hostile mobs over passive mobs the two minute cooldown applies only to passives yeah so correct. They'll, they'll they'll continue to attack right after they kill a skeleton or, or not a skeleton <laughs> yeah, but a drown so drown would be a good example and right after they kill a drown they're not going to wait two minutes to kill the next drown next yeah, to it they're going to yeah, just correct. keep going yeah okay because because otherwise they, they would just leave themselves open to attack in ocean monuments if you wanted to use them there right um, i right. think it's it's mainly to stop them killing an entire school of fish and then just kind of wandering mm. off right well i guess to the, my my concern earlier too is i give you a chance to collect the thing that you want to collect in case you you wanted it before they kill everything i i also wonder too if that would be removing players using axolotls as like farms you know like to farm glow squid or to farm you know like if you have a place where you know glow squid are going to um, spawn and you have it filled with axolotls and they're just going to keep on killing them for you if there's a two minute cooldown it makes that less of a efficient farm you know yeah, maybe. I mean, it, it could be for for balance. It'd probably be good for that. Um, I think it also makes sure they don't get distracted constantly if they're following the player. Um, if, if you've ever tried to lead a fox on a lead through an area with chickens, you'll know what I mean. But mm. if, if you have something that's constantly programmed to attack passive mobs, then it's kind of difficult to control them. And if you're just, you know, waving a tropical fish under its nose and it goes off to attack a school of fish... If it's going to attack all of them at once, then yeah, you're going to be there for days. So I think I think it's kind of nice that they've got a bit of cooldown with that stuff, and it, it certainly gives you time to react to it if you don't want it to happen. Speaking of farms and traps and stuff, how do you feel about the changes to Powder Snow? I think they're good. I think um, 
for a start, the movement speed thing, my first thought about movement speed in Powder Snow was, oh great, we can use this as scaffolding now. Because if you've got leather boots, and then you can still, like, you can go up and down Powdered Snow kind of at will. So you can actually use that maybe to conceal entrances in a, a in a base. If your base ends in, like, a kind of snow cave, you can put a bank of Powdered Snow that you can walk into and then just hold space with leather boots on you just rise up through it um <laughs> there's there's some some nice things there that, that make it a little bit less um of a pain to to navigate around and i think you know the I, i'm not sure how the fire mob connection is going to work like it says entities on fire will now melt powdered snow so that's obviously like you know a zombie walks in there during the daylight starts to burn that destroys the blocks of powdered snow i guess correct um, yep that also presumably works with flaming arrows, so players who are trying to seek out traps made with powdered snow could just fire a couple of flame arrows into the ground nearby to test for patches of it. Um, and it might also potentially help you out of the bottom of a snowdrift if you are stuck in powdered snow just to fire a couple of arrows immediately above and below you. Um, does that also apply to stuff like blazes? Because I saw the the note that mobs that enjoy heat like blazes magma cubes and striders take increased freeze damage but blazes if they aggro will set themselves on fire so i don't know if that's necessarily the on fire state in the same way that a burning zombie or a flaming arrow is but i'm curious to see if powder snow becomes the new meta for damaging blazes on their way to a kill chamber in a blaze farm um there's there's some interesting stuff there. It's making the block a lot more technical than I think I ever expected it to be, which is good because snowier snow was kind of a bit of a a kind of mocking catchphrase of it for a while. So <laughs> it's 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 nice that it actually has some durability that gives it some some place within the the technical meta. Refresh my memory. Can you use snow blocks in the Nether, or do they melt? Uh, snow blocks you can use, but they don't really have any kind of function. It's um right. It's it's just water that melts and ice if it has a high enough light level will melt turn into water and then evaporate because it doesn't yeah, want to leave no water a water the, source yeah. there in but the, um, in the nether yeah so could you could use powdered snow in in a mob farm in the nether then yeah i i, I think that is the implication it, it just depends mm. whether or not the blazes are lighting themselves on fire once they take damage or something i don't i don't know how that works right yeah yeah because when they get angry and if they see you they kind of light on fire and they rise up and stuff like that so it could ruin your trap but not, i'm just not thinking that, that but um powder snow can also be dispensed using dispensers because it's an item that you can put in a bucket so potentially right. there is a way to you know dispense an area of powdered snow into something like a a blaze spawner to deal damage to them the, the problem with blazes of course is that they don't drop blaze rods or xp unless you kill them as a player so you could right. you could deal some peripheral damage to them but then you'd have to deal the final blow yourself but i yeah. can i can see it potentially being useful Blaze is a, is a bad example, but um, magma cubes with the magma cube spawners in bastions, bastion remnants. Yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. Uh, if you had the bottom of that lined with powdered snow, the magma cubes would just spawn and then take damage. You just have to have something to collect the the magma cubes or the magma cream, I guess. Yeah, yeah. They do they do drop it regardless of a player kill. So that could mm -hmm. be an an interesting solution. And anybody who puts a strider in powdered snow, you're a monster. <laughs> and uh yeah. you know I, I i have such great affection for striders as listeners of the show will probably know by this point mm -hmm. um 
On a lighter note, I like the idea of the mobs shaking uh, when they get frozen in powdered snow. Like there was a, I saw a video of a creeper kind of shaking back and forth, like kind of like the striders do when they're away from heat. Like they they get cold. So mobs that are dying or about to take damage in, in, in powdered snow start to shake back and forth. And it made me think that I understand that the mob taking damage and dying makes this a very cool block for technical players and farms and stuff and traps, blah, blah, blah. But it would be neat for my cartoon brain to get, instead of a dead mob, a mobsicle. Like I would love to have a, <laughs> you know, a two by one cubic meter of frozen creeper in ice block for display. <laughs> like I yeah. just, I think like it's totally harmless, like removes all hostility, but having like them encased in in snow and not moving like you can kind of do that if you kind of push glass into them and stuff like that but then they can they still kind of turn around and move uh it would be cool if they would be frozen in a block um i guess similar to like an animation from from minecraft dungeons if you get frozen by something you know yes yeah that's what i was looking up i was trying to find a picture of the player frozen in a block of ice if you like roll into the water in in minecraft Mm -hmm. dungeons that happens to you um yeah the one thing i was also interested in is the bug fix that prevents mobs from uh that mobs weren't pathfinding across powdered snow blocks when not wandering and that implies that like it's mobs who are specifically tracking a player or tracking some other kind of prey weren't pathfinding across powdered snow they were still trying to walk around it and now that's been fixed you can potentially you know use a player or a villager or whatever to bait zombies into uh an area with powdered snow and have them fall down through that so that's potentially you know, fixing its functionality as a trap block, which is sort of how it's been advertised to begin with. And instead of having them walk across trap doors, you can have some powdered snow for that. And, you know, I, I think there's there's definitely some uh, some functionality there that's been intended the entire time being worked back into it, which is, which is very good. Yeah, I'm on board. Yeah, uh, speaking of stuff around powdered snow, uh, goats are now in the snapshot. Uh, this is the first time Java has seen goats, which is weird because we've been looking at them in the Bedrock beta and also in Minecraft Dungeons occasionally um, for, for a while now, but I hadn't realized that goats had not really been added to Java before this. And, uh, like, they're a neat addition to mountains, but I really feel like they need the new mountain terrain to help them feel like a like a destination mob, you know, the kind of thing that it's it's cool to find because the existing mountains already have, you know, sheep, cows, llamas, the few other things that spawn in the region. And if they are if goats are one of the only things that spawn in the new mountains, that feels much more exciting to me. I think you also get snow bunnies in some areas of the the subbiomes of the new mountains, but I think that's what's really going to make goats feel like a a a cool new addition to me is the fact that you find them on these giant new mountains because finding them in the current extreme hills mountains that we have just didn't really feel all that exciting honestly um and their their full functionality hasn't been added to java yet as well they don't um they don't headbutt anything as far as i can tell i hung around with them for a while and none of them decided to kick me off the mountain um and they don't drop their horns yet either so it remains to be seen if that's just, you know, behavior they have yet to implement or if they've got something else in mind for that. But yeah, I, I, I still think I'm I'm on the fence about goats until we see them with the the full features and surroundings that were intended for them. Yeah, I, I've got nothing bad to say, but I don't have a lot of good to say either because of just our lack of knowledge in terms of 
they they seem they strike me very much as a work in progress. Yeah. Uh, they look cool. I'll say that I like the texture. I think I like the shaggy coats uh, that they have. Like it, it, they definitely look very distinct from other Minecraft mobs. They don't look like you know sheep or cows or anything like that. They they definitely feel like a more modern addition. Like the texture mm-hmm. seems more sophisticated. Yes. And uh, mm-hmm. yeah, as Shepard in our live chat is pointing out, there are occasions on which uh, goats will scream, <laughs> like the the kind of screaming goat memes that we all saw a couple of years ago. Like they will just oh, yeah. yell out of it's nowhere, like rarely. Um, but the the sound design for them is great as well. I mean, obviously, it's it's just recorded noises of a goat, but it, it's it it definitely fits. It's nice to hang out with them and hear them bleating in the mountains. So it would be neat if you could specify that, like if you could somehow, if there was some in game mechanic where the goat would scream specifically if it was presented with an item or <laughs> you, situation. You, sh- you show it a specific like picture of yeah. something and you're like, it doesn't like, like ah! the color blue. I don't it, know. I'm just sees, thinking like it, it sees be... that painting of the wither and it goes, ah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like it would, how neat would it be if you could hook up something like that? Like imagine that, imagine it was a painting to give paintings a use in the game and you have a goat that you have as your pet and you have it facing the painting, but you block its view until someone rings the doorbell on your haunted mansion and the goat goes, ah, as, as the doorbell. Like there could be some really fun uses for that. I mean, maybe not the most humane, but you know. Yeah, it'd be it'd be fun. Um, I'm looking forward to more stuff potentially this week if we get another snapshot, but it's it's coming together slowly but surely. And once again, I'm sure you folks have opinions about some of the stuff that's been included in this week's snapshot and anything else that we have covered in recent weeks. Once again, the email to write in if you want to contribute to the show is spawnchunkmail at gmail.com. That's going to be it for this episode, though. Thank you so much for listening. You can... Uh, find more information about the show and links to some of the stuff we've talked about today at thespawnchunks.com. The music for the show was composed by me, and The Spawn Chunks is proud to be a listener-supported podcast. If you get some value out of the show, why not consider putting some value back in? You can visit patreon.com slash thespawnchunks to join our community. Pledging at any level gets you an invite to our patrons-only Discord chat and gets us closer to our next goal of a monthly Minecraft audio hangout where we hang out with our patrons and just discuss what we've been up to in Minecraft. We're currently at 238 patrons, which is down five from last week as Patreon does its usual reshuffle at the beginning of the month. But special thanks go out to our content engineer patrons, General Pattern82, Greener Canuck, Hunter555, Jumbo Sale, and Yitz for their support on this episode. Sharing the podcast with your friends is the easiest way to support the show. You can find us at The Spawn Chunks on Twitter and Instagram. Personal recommendations are by far the best way to share the podcast. Just poke a friend in the arm from a safe distance and tell them about the show and where they can go to listen to it. That includes iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and YouTube. You can email the show at spawnchunkmail at gmail.com. The RSS feed is linked on the spawnchunks.com and the Patreon-only RSS feed is on the Patreon page. That's where you can listen to the Render Distance, the extended version of the podcast, and the upcoming quarterly hangout this Saturday. My name is Johnny, but online I go by Pixorifs. You can find most of what I do at youtube.com slash Pixorifs, where I attempt to make sense of this crazy and wonderful game in a series called The Minecraft Survival Guide. I also stream three days a week on Twitch, where I do behind-the-scenes work for Survival Guide and other series. I'm also the voice of the unofficial Hermitcraft recap, which you can find through a quick YouTube search. Aside from that, I'm at Pixorifs on both Twitter and Instagram. Joel, where can people find you online? Everything I'm doing online, including my illustration and design portfolio, is at joelduggan.com. My other podcast is The Citadel Cafe, and that is about sci-fi and fantasy entertainment. You can find that at 
thecitadelcafe.com. Looking forward to talking about Falcon and the Winter Soldier this week with my friend Stephen. You can follow me at Joel Duggan on social media and of course Joel Duggan on Twitch where I'm playing a lot of Minecraft and quite a bit of Satisfactory as well. Thanks for visiting the Spawn Chunks. The world outside is infinite and that really gets my goat.